0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 30th, 2020. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Uh, Brad, this is it's just you and I today, and I think this is the first time in Slash Film Daily podcast history where one person, this person being you in this case, has written every single news story that we're going to talk about today. Um, so I hope you're ready. I hope you're, you're strapped in and ready to uh, dish out the news to us.
1: Today. I, I am, and this is why I have been given the new title of Slash Film News Boss.
0: Oh, <laughs> great. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's start things off on a bit of a down note. Uh, we lost a, a uh, Star Wars icon over the, the past... When 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 exactly did he die? Yesterday? The day
1: before? Uh, it sounds like it happened overnight, Saturday into Sunday. Okay. Okay so
0: tell us about that.
1: Yes, unfortunately um, David Prowse, uh, who you may not know by name, but you've definitely seen him in all three of the original Star Wars movies because he's the man responsible for being the physical presence of Darth Vader uh, on the set of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi he's the the actor uh, who is a former bodybuilder who was actually inside Darth Vader's uh, suit doing all of the physical acting for the character while James Earl Jones would later provide the voice for him Uh, and sadly he passed away at 85 years old. Um, it had been reported back in 2018 that he was being treated for prostate cancer, but apparently today his daughter clarified that uh, he died due to complications from COVID-19. Man, that is a bummer. So I know, I mean, you're a huge
0: Star Wars fan. Uh, I know this, This. Uh, I mean, obviously, Darth Vader is like one of the greatest cinematic villains of all time, and and David Prowse, uh, his, his work, even though we didn't really hear his voice in the movie, um, you know, it, it's it's a huge massive like you cannot overstate how important it was to the creation of that character what sort of memories do you have of uh of Darth Vader in the Star Wars universe and and what Krauss brought to that character
1: yeah i mean like it's uh it's obvious you know that a lot of people associate Darth Vader with James Earl Jones because you know his his rich deep voice you know gives Darth Vader you know this this incredibly incredible intimidating sound but that's only half of Darth Vader's you know presence as a villain uh, there's a physicality that David Prow- Prowse brought to this role, and it's because of his, you know, towering six-foot-six frame and, you know, th- this physical presence he had on set that really made him that much more intimidating. It's it's something that they even have transferred, you know, into, you know, uh, other mediums so that you get a sense of just how big of a character Darth Vader really is. Um, I remember when I tried the... The Vader Immortal VR experience at Star Wars Celebration last year, when you're standing in front of Darth Vader, like he he feels like he's taller than you, and it's it's very intimidating, and that comes directly from David Krause. and uh, it's 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 kind of funny too because uh, even though he didn't do the voice of Darth Vader, he still had to deliver those lines on set so that they could be acted opposite anyone who was talking to Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And there are clips online uh, from, from at least the original Star Wars where you can hear what Darth Vader's lines sound like from David Prowse. Um, and it would have been not so uh, intimidating if they had used David <laughs> Prowse's voice because he sounds just more like just a casual British gentleman than anything. <laughs> um, so, but But that physical performance that he brought, it's... It's something that makes Darth Vader what he is. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a loss for sure. I
0: didn't really know much about him, um, I'm sad to say, until I was reading all these obituaries and stuff. And the, the piece that you wrote mentioned that he was one of the people who trained Christopher Reeve during the uh, Superman the movie, like when when Reeve was really like starting to get into, you know, like bulk up his frame and stuff to prepare for that film. So that's a cool little piece of trivia that I didn't know about.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he he had various roles where he in you know, his his... Uh, you know, imposing body was used. He, he played Franken, uh, Frankenstein's monster a couple times, um, played a lot of other creatures in movies, uh, appeared as bodyguards several times. So he, he definitely used his uh, his beefy stature as a, a way to carve out a career for himself in Hollywood that's
0: great uh okay so let's move on to godzilla vs kong what is the deal with this uh hard-hitting big monster movie that's supposed to be coming up what's the deal with godzilla
1: vs kong (laughs) um so uh, following the footsteps of wonder woman 1984 which is now being released simultaneously in theaters and on hbo max on christmas day it sounds like warner brothers is considering some other options for blockbusters Uh, In order to maybe help continue to beef up the subscriber numbers for HBO Max, because apparently uh, Netflix had offered $200 million to nab the streaming rights to Godzilla vs. Kong from Warner Brothers Pictures, but they turned it down. Uh, And that's a number that apparently would have covered roughly 75% of the film's budget. Uh, But apparently Warner Brothers is working with Warner Media, their parent company, and HBO Max to potentially figure out some kind of deal to bring Godzilla vs. Kong to HBO Max as well. Um, For their part, representatives from Warner Brothers said, we're still planning on releasing Godzilla vs. Kong into theaters, but they also didn't say uh, that that precludes the idea of the movie also coming to streaming, just like Wonder Woman 1984. Mm. So there's a chance that, Um, maybe they'll do that with Godzilla vs. Kong, where it'll be in theaters and on HBO Max for a 30-day window, just like Wonder Woman 1984. Um, But the one weird thing about this is that Godzilla vs. Kong actually isn't slated to hit theaters until mid-May of next year, which is around the time that we. it seems like the vaccine will be out there and that people might be more ready to come back to movie theaters. So it's not clear if they're maybe considering bumping up the release of Godzilla versus Kong in order to take advantage of the fact that there's so little blockbuster entertainment out there on streaming um, and to fill a gap maybe in the, in the spring where mm-hmm. there aren't any big movies hitting theaters or uh, coming to streaming services, which might, you know, draw more people to to pick up HBO Max.
0: Yeah, this is a movie that I think we've been talking about because we haven't, I don't, Correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, there is not a trailer out for this movie yet, right?
1: No, there hasn't been a trailer and there have only been like one or two first look images. Okay. Um,
0: so I think, you know, internally, I guess uh, at Slash Film HQ, we've been talking about this movie for probably a, a year now, really, as like maybe even before the coronavirus hit as a, a potential um, a candidate, I guess, for uh, a streaming release, like because I think um financially the uh, Godzilla and what would you call it? What else? What are they calling this the legendary monsters or something the legendary cinematic universe of monsters that it has some sort of title the, whatever the the overarching um, is, umbrella is
1: it, is it the legendary monster verse or something like that yeah maybe? i
0: think that's right the monster verse the cinematic monster verse um the, these movies have been you know it, it seemed like they were performing pretty well financially and then the most recent movie which was uh what godzilla, uh, godzilla king of the monsters did not do as well um uh, you know in theaters and at the box office so i I think we were sort of speculating like oh man maybe it makes sense for uh warner media or whoever warner brothers to release this to a streaming service and now i guess with the the pandemic it's sort of like i've just been waiting for it's it's almost seemed like an uh an inevitability to me that this was going to happen what do you think is going to happen here do you think that um they are going to sort of try to jump up in between you know before that uh current summer release date to try to fill that gap like you're talking about
1: it makes the most sense because there, like i said there's nothing really happening in theaters or on streaming in spring i, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they would aim for like some, a march release maybe or something like that mm-hmm. um and it, it makes financial sense for for warner brothers because they, they don't have to take the risk of not making their money back uh at the box office or on streaming if they're able to get a deal that pays for the entire budget of the movie um, and that's a pretty a pretty good idea because uh, as as we said, King of the Monsters made far less than the original Godzilla. It made 386 million worldwide, and a Godzilla from 2014 made 525 million worldwide. So it's a pretty steep drop. Um, and Kong Skull Island uh, did did really well with 566 million, but I feel like there's still a risk here because of how you know I don't want to say disappointing King of the Monsters was, but it definitely didn't. hit wasn't as big of a hit as they hoped it would be. And if they do a streaming deal um, in the United States, they're still able to release that movie in a lot of international markets theatrically where they're mm. doing much better with the coronavirus, especially China, which is a huge box office market for these kinds of movies.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also this must be, you know, the, the timing of this must be, uh be, I guess, uh, fortuitous or something for Warner Brothers because they have not spent a ton of money on advertising yet or really almost anything on advertising yet. And that's like, you know, you're talking about a percentage of the budget and stuff like that. So much money gets pumped into you know, the, the print and advertising budgets for these movies, um, these, especially these, you know, massive budget blockbusters that are like a hundred, two hundred million $200 million. Um, you can almost spend, you know, another, an extra hundred million dollars just on trailers and all that kind of stuff. So maybe if they figure out this, uh, kind of thing before all that money gets spent, then, um, then things will <laughs> sort of smooth out and work out a little bit better for everybody involved. So, yeah, uh, we'll have to see what happens there. Um, speaking of, uh, of HBO, I guess, Warner media, um, HBO has a new series coming out called The Nevers that is supposed to be uh, debuting in 2021, and this is um, was supposed to be Joss Whedon's big return to television. But It seems like that is no longer going to be the case, question mark? What's happening there, Brad?
1: Yeah, so uh, Joss Whedon hasn't done a big original TV show since the short-lived series Dollhouse. Uh, He was an executive producer on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that was more of just kind of a a glamour credit because he was involved with The Avengers, and that show spun off from that, and he was never really actively involved uh, on that series um, for a long time. So The Nevers was going to be his big return to sci-fi. It's a series that's set in uh, Victorian-era London, Uh, where all of a sudden people start exhibiting uh, abnormal abilities, essentially superpowers, um, and the story unfolds from there in this kind of alternate uh, historical timeline. Um, But the series apparently will not be something that Joss Whedon continues to work on, because even before the first season has premiered, which is supposed to be this summer, uh, he announced that he is leaving the series. Um, And he made uh, a full statement about this, basically amounting to that... This year has been challenging for him uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And a big part of this is just because he's apparently exhausted and the idea of continuing to work on a show in the middle of a pandemic uh, is just something that he doesn't feel like he can handle and it's be- he feels worn down. And so he just felt like he needed to take a step back and leave the show. And so HBO made a much shorter statement um, confirming that they had parted ways but they were still looking forward to the show coming. They're not, you know, canceling it or anything like that. Um, what we don't know for sure is exactly where in the post-production timeline this series was. Um, it's, it seems like they had shot maybe most of it because Nick Frost recently talked about the show and um, how excited he was about it and how crazy it was, and he had finished all of his stuff for the series. But since he's not the lead, that doesn't necessarily mean they're done with production because they, mm-hmm. they had started shooting last year, they picked up a little bit uh, in the beginning of this year. They got shut down by the pandemic and then they came back back in September to start working again. So it seems like maybe they shot most of it. Uh, not clear if they were able to shoot the full season and maybe Joss is no longer involved as far as post-production is concerned. Um, but he's, you know, he stepped away from the series and that, uh, you know, could hurt the series, could, you know, benefit it if HBO is maybe worried about some kind of controversy because, Uh, Justice League actor Ray Fisher seems to have implied online that this maybe is tied to the ongoing investigation about um, Joss Whedon's alleged inappropriate um, and disrespectful behavior on the Justice League reshoot uh, production timeline. Uh, And So he tweeted about this saying that, you know, this is a result of that. We don't know for sure what's going on with that or anything, but the timing does seem, you know, a little more than a coincidence. Wow.
0: Okay. So a lot to go through here. Um, I guess first and foremost, can you think of an instance where a creative person created a show and then walked away from that show before it even premiered? Uh, wow. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It just feels sort of unique in that regard. Um, I, I wonder if there maybe if maybe if listeners uh, are
1: like screaming at their I feel like, devices I feel like or if, it, something. if there's anybody who it would have happened with it, probably would have been somebody like Brian Fuller. Mm. But I don't. But I don't know for sure because I know he's walked away from shows after they've been on for a little bit. But I can't recall if there was ever a show that he walked away from that he had like worked on so much before it was, you know, done or aired. Right. Yeah. Maybe um, Amazing Stories might be of, of the
0: Apple TV Plus show. I think he was attached to that for a little while before um, uh, Kitsis and, and Horowitz uh, came on to take over. So I wonder if like, yeah, the, the first chunk of that production was, you know, like, Fuller's vision, quote unquote, and then they sort of like picked up the, the baton and ran with it. Yeah. I don't know. This, this seems like um, like an interesting thing here. So, OK, so uh, just, you know, I guess historically uh, the the potential novelty of this you know, historical event aside, um, the idea that Joss Whedon is is like exhausted and uh, thinks that his work is suffering because he's, um, you know, he's just like worn out this sounds kind of like a familiar refrain because I think when he was making Avengers age of Ultron, he was talking so much about how that movie just like wore him down. Yeah. So, um, and, and then obviously he came in on justice league, but we haven't really heard much from him. You know, I guess since then it's been a few years really since there's been a big Joss Whedon thing. So I guess like, did, what, what do you make of that idea, Brad? Like the idea that like maybe Joss, we could Joss Whedon is just sort of like, um, almost like broken as a creative person like you know he he's just he's uh shouldered so much responsibility for these avengers movies and and uh stepping into a fraught scenario with uh justice league and then now creating this show and then having a pandemic hit in the middle of it do you think that there's anything to the idea that like this may be the last thing that we see from Joss Whedon or do you just
1: think he like needs some serious away time to like take care of himself? That's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, he, he's had a, a rough go of it for the past few years and you know, it's, um, there have been several controversies, you know, I mean, um, back in 2017 there was the ordeal he had where um, his uh, ex-wife had published a whole essay accusing him of uh, infidelity and, and hypocrisy and, and all these things. And that kind of, Uh, hurt him and especially hurt his image in the eyes of a lot of the fans who liked his approach to uh, feminist ideals and strong female characters in movies, you know, even though he's had obviously missteps in those arenas from time to time. Um, you know, and, and on yeah, that, I think like one of the biggest Joss, uh, Joss Whedon fan sites like shut down around that time, if, if
0: memory serves, but going.
1: Yeah. And so and then that combined, you know, with this new Justice League controversy, which is, I'm sure is an ongoing thing. Um, he, he doesn't, you know, really allude to anything like that in, in the statement that, that he made. If anything, he um, there's something where he says, uh, I, I'm I'm genuinely exhausted and I'm stepping back to marshal my energy towards my own life, which is also at the brink of exciting change. So. I don't know what that means uh, as far as his personal life is concerned um, or anything like that, but, you know, obviously something is going on in his life and he feels like he can't dedicate as much time to uh, a series that takes up even more time than he was probably anticipating because of how difficult it is to produce a live action series in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, But uh, it's obviously important enough that he feels like he has to step away from the show because he probably wouldn't be able to continue on with a second season without the quality of that series suffering.
0: Yeah. And just to read um, Ray Fisher's tweet in full, he says, I have no intention of allowing Joss Whedon to use the old Hollywood tactic of exiting, stepping down or walking away to cover for his terrible behavior. Warner Media's Justice League investigation has been in full swing for over three weeks now. This is undoubtedly a result of it. And like you said, we're, we're not sure if that's true, um, but it's certainly interesting timing. And, and, you know, the whole thing with this Ray Fisher Justice League uh, controversy is like, Really fascinating to me because for a long time there, I was sort of like, what is this dude talking about? Like, is he just, you know, bitter over having his part cut? And then the more I hear from it, the more I actually wonder if this is a where there's smoke, there's fire situation. And it's still, you know, like, uh, cloaked in all of this mystery and, and probably non-disclosure agreements and those, these, you know, internal corporate investigations that are still taking place. So hopefully we get to the bottom of this at some point so we can actually just like figure out what the hell is going on here. But, um, yeah, this is a, a really a notable thing because I, I think The Nevers was going to be, like you mentioned, this big you know sort of return to form for Joss Whedon coming back to this uh, medium that he was so well known for. Um,
1: and it's, a, and it's HBO too, which allows him to spread his wings even more because otherwise he's been working on network television for so long. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, we'll have to, uh, sort of keep our ear to the ground and see if we
0: hear anything more about that, uh, in the, the coming weeks and months. But, um, let's talk about something that, uh, really everybody seems to be talking about online right now, which is the Mandalorian, which is, uh, the new, obviously the, the new season is out. And, uh, the, the most recent episode, um, confirmed a scoop that we broke at Slash Film that, um, uh, Rosario Dawson is in fact playing Ahsoka uh Ahsoka? Ahsoka? Tano? Ahsoka? Yeah, Ahsoka. Okay. Um Ahsoka Tano, which is a uh, you know, she's like a, a key character from the Clone Wars. Now, Brad, I have not watched any of the Clone Wars, and um I let's talk to me as if I'm somebody who is not even caught up on The Mandalorian and uh doesn't know anything about uh ahsoka and and all of this stuff why this character is important um what are a couple of the things that we've learned uh i guess since this episode has aired um and i know you guys talked about it on on friday's episode of the show um but something uh that dave filoni was just talking about that that may uh sort of put things in a new context for uh viewers and and star wars fans
1: well a long time ago in a galaxy far far away um, I don't know how far back you want me to start, but that's where, <laughs> no. So yeah, um, Ahsoka Tano, uh, recently debuted in the live action Star Wars universe after debuting in the animated side of Star Wars in the Clone Wars, which was a series that was, uh, created and executive produced by Dave Filoni. Uh, Ahsoka is his creation and, uh, he directed the episode that she debuted in, which is called, appropriately called the Jedi. And, uh, honestly, you didn't really need to know much about Ahsoka in order to understand her Uh, importance or her role in the Mandalorian. It was um, obviously exciting for fans who love that character, but uh, much like the way the character of Bo-Katan was introduced into the Mandalorian with Katie Sackhoff reprising her animated role in live action, um, there's not a lot of context necessary to understand their place in the Mandalorian story as it relates to Uh, his mission to protect the child and um, keep it safe from the empire and deliver it back to its own kind and ahsoka was basically the next step in figuring out exactly what he needed to do where he could go with the child and figure out its next steps uh, as far as you know its place essentially in in the universe um but there is an interesting um Question that comes about by having Ahsoka Tano appear in The Mandalorian because the last time we saw her was at the end of the uh, animated series Star Wars Rebels, uh, and so obviously she was a part of that show, uh, which takes place um, much later than Clone Wars, leading up to the events of uh, Star Wars: New Hope. And in this series, at the end, there's an epilogue that takes place several years after the the final climactic battle where she teams up with another Mandalorian uh, named Sabine Wren, who uh, they decide to embark on a mission to track down their ally, Ezra Bridger, who is a, uh, a Jedi apprentice who was involved in this final battle with Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, a, char- a character who is part of the, um, the empire and Imperial officer. He was taken from the expanded universe, brought back into Canon through uh, Star Wars rebels. And it's in, In the recent episode of The Mandalorian with Ahsoka Tano, it is revealed that she is trying to track down Grad Admiral Thrawn. And at the end of Star Wars Rebels, Thrawn and Ezra were stuck on board Thrawn's ship as a pod of these um, alien, essentially whale-like beings with tentacles that have the ability to travel through hyperspace, grabbed onto the ship and jumped to hyperspace, leaving Uh, Sabine and the rest of Ezra's crew on the Ghost with no idea where he went, if they survived or anything like that. Hmm. But in the most recent episode of The Mandalorian, now that we know Grand Admiral Thrawn is out there somewhere and Ahsoka is looking for him, that means Ezra Bridger is probably out there. And that makes what Dave Filoni said recently about where The Mandalorian may or may not take place even more interesting because it was asked about the epilogue and where Ahsoka Tano is when we meet her in The Mandalorian. And he simply said that it's possible that The Mandalorian takes place before that epilogue at the end of Star Wars Rebels. So there's a period of a few years between the final battle in Star Wars Rebels and the epilogue that would set up this new adventure to find Ezra Bridger, where The Mandalorian might be taking place. And since... The show has introduced Ahsoka in live-action Star Wars. A lot of fans are hoping and thinking that maybe this is a setup for some kind of spin off series where we will actually be able to see that mission carried out and we'll follow Ahsoka and Sabine as they try to find uh, Ezra Bridger. So I guess the question
0: would be, if I'm understanding the timeline properly, if let's say they they do announce, uh, let's say today, they announce a, a Mandalorian spinoff starring Rosario Dawson, where it is about exactly that, right? It's set in, uh, I guess, after the events of Star Wars Rebels, um, you know, sort of during this Mandalorian period, this era, but before the epilogue of, uh, of the final episode of Rebels. Does that mean that she's not going to find Ezra or uh, Thrawn in in that spin-off show beca- unless they like catch up and and overtake the epilogue? Is that right? Well, so because in the epilogue of of Star Wars Star Wars Rebels, don't they say like, you know, let's go find Ezra or whatever. Isn't that <laughs> the whole thing? They sort yeah. of like
1: the whole yeah, the whole thing is it's it's very clear that Sabina and Ahsoka are going to find find Ezra. And the Mandalorian the series has already been discussed to, to take place a, a um a few years, give or take, three or five years after the events of Return of the Jedi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in within that period, you know, there's there's room, you know, to have this adventure, where there are plenty of unexplored parts of the Star Wars universe that mm-hmm. uh, don't necessarily have to adhere to a lot of uh, troublesome canon, where they have to like tiptoe around certain elements um, of you know the the original trilogy storylines or or anything like anything like that, because there's enough space between front of the Jedi. And Force Awakens before the First Order comes about and and whatnot that they can play with that and not have to worry about intersecting with anything already established in the Star Wars movies or even the rest of the canon which all ties into the movies in the books and comics and whatnot. So uh, the story has the ability to unfold and basically fill us in as to what Ahsoka has been up to this time or where Ezra has, has been. And then, you know uh, what exactly Thrawn is doing, whether Thrawn is the one who is commanding Moff Gideon in the Mandalorian, or Mm -hmm. if Gideon is his own rogue thing uh, and Thrawn's off doing his own thing as well. There's uh, honestly the most recent episode of the Mandalorian, even though it provided some answers uh, to questions that we've had since the, the beginning of the first season, it raised infinitely more questions about where this is all headed and what the future of the Mandalorian holds uh, or even series that might, sp- you know, spin off of The Mandalorian. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, I, I love what you're saying there, especially the idea of like, you know, uh, going off into to sort of uncharted uh, corners of the galaxy and, and not being beholden to, you know, crisscrossing with characters we've seen before and all that stuff. I think you and I both have been have expressed long expressed our uh, desire for uh, Lucasfilm to sort of, you know, take Star Wars as a whole in into more of that direction. And this seems like a really smart way to do it if they decide to do that. But I guess just the, like the the nitty gritty of it, like you know, Ahsoka could have all sorts of adventures. We could theoretically in this, in this, uh, spin-off show, you know, follow the characters of Ezra and Thrawn around for a little while, but like the three of them would never cross paths, right? Because it would take place before rebels. And then the epilogue for rebels would no longer make sense if, if, You know, during this spinoff, they they all, you know, uh, have a (laughs) meet up and have some sort of big fight or party or whatever they do.
1: Well, just because the Mandalorian takes place before there doesn't necessarily like essentially the man this part of the Mandalorian takes place before that epilogue. Mm -hmm. But. A spinoff series could still take place after that epilogue.
0: Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Yeah, I'm just trying to work this out for you know in from in my own mind, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully these questions aren't um, you know sounding idiotic to listeners out there too. So yeah, that makes sense. Like maybe Ahsoka, you know this this Rosario Dawson version of Ahsoka, like the the spinoff show picks up. You know, a couple years after we just saw her on The Mandalorian, and then that way they're able to sort of fast forward through the timeline a little bit and, and speed things up a little bit that way, right?
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's it's literally just something that we just we don't know like what they're gonna do or or, or anything like that. You know, especially because uh, as we we've talked about on our spoiler discussion episodes of Slash Film Daily for The Mandalorian, uh, we haven't. There's no more footage left to be seen in any of the trailers or TV spots um that we haven't seen on the show already this season so the remaining three episodes there are we haven't seen a scrap of footage from those scenes you know from those episodes so it's anybody's guess as to what's going to happen and for our last story today they're you know
0: talking about things that are going to happen uh on on the rest of uh, mandalorian season two we know of at
1: least one thing that's not
0: going to happen and that is uh at least one character is not going to be coming back
1: right at least that's the assumption that we can make and take from uh, something that a cast member said, who was a, a new character that joined the uh, the Mandalorian this season. So, uh, as I talked about earlier, Bo-Katan is a character from The Clone Wars, who was voiced by Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica, and she made the jump to live action uh, to play that character on the Mandalorian. And she was uh, flanked by two other Mandalorians, um, in that in that episode, uh, one of which was played by uh, Sasha Banks, who is a, a former WWE star. And she plays a fellow Mandalorian. She was all suited up, you know, in in armor and everything. Um, and she was interviewed recently about her work on the series. And she mentioned uh, that she would not be uh, appearing any again throughout the second season, that that was the only episode that she shot. So it seems as if uh, we won't be seeing that character, and her character, uh, his name is uh, Koska Reeves. And so we're left to assume that maybe that means we won't see Bo-Katan again throughout the second season, or if we do, she won't be accompanied by these two Mandalorians who uh, appeared with her in uh, the episode The Heiress that they debuted in. Or there's one other possibility, um, and it's that maybe if this character does appear again, they didn't need to bring Sasha Banks in to play this role because they kept the character's helmet on and didn't need to see her face, which is entirely possible um, because obviously it's cheaper to have the stunt person come in and do action work with Mandalorian armor on than it is to pay the actress to do it. So assuming that maybe that character doesn't talk and she didn't have very many lines um, in the the episode that she debuted in, that it would be possible for that character to potentially appear later in the season uh, without Sasha Banks ha- needing to film anything or knowing that Mm -hmm. her character is coming back. Um, You would think that they would probably keep her privy to that since that is her character now, but (laughs) with with star Wars, you, you never really know. So I, for now we'll, we'll assume that that's probably the case that we won't be seeing uh, that Mandalorian character appear again this season, but you know, it's, we won't count it out either. Is that disappointing to you, Brad? Would you like to see more of them like
0: quickly or are you okay with them maybe popping back in in season three or something?
1: I mean, I don't mind if we don't see the two other Mandalorian characters who accompanied Bo-Katan, but uh, if we don't see Bo-Katan again before the end of the second season, I feel like that would be somewhat disappointing because they, they firmly planted this seed that Bo-Katan is in pursuit of the dark saber, which Moff Gideon has. And so, uh, hoping for some kind of confrontation between them, whether or not she gets it. Um, I, I mentioned uh, on our spoiler discussion that I asked Katie Sakoff and tried to get her to talk about whether she actually held the Darksaber without necessarily implying that she held it on camera, but just mm-hmm. as a prop and uh, she said she didn't remember, which seems like tap dancing to me. <laughs> yeah, <certainly. laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, we'll we'll see if we end up seeing Bo Katan, and that's the character I was. I think obviously fans want to see again as well, uh, and her her pursuit of the the dark saber from Moff Gideon, that that will be something that plays out in the future. But it could be a slow burn thing too, where this character popped up just to plant seeds, because uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Moff Gideon, has said that there are more answers and things coming that aren't set to be revealed until a third or fourth season. So this, this, this yeah, could, be, was, could easily be a long con too, you know, I was just looking at his quote. Uh, I was going to end with that. Cause he said,
0: uh, I think this season is going to start to lay the groundwork for the depth and breadth. That's going to come in season three and season four, where you're really going to start to get answers. So I, hopefully people out there are not, um, you know, are not pulling a lost or something. And like watching the show with the, uh, the week to week hope that it's going to, um, dole out you know, significant answers in a, in a meaningful way, like immediately. So it sounds like they have a, a grand plot line plotted out here. And um, if you're you're on board, then uh, it sounds like, you know, it's going to be a long ride. So um, hopefully uh, it'll be an entertaining one. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Uh, Brad, do you want to tell people where they can find more of your work online?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Check me out there. Always writing on slash Uh, And I still do have my own podcast called Go Flicks Yourself. Uh, It's not currently up up on iTunes. We're figuring out some technical stuff, but it will will be back and we will be doing new episodes. So uh, if you like that, if you haven't heard it, stay tuned for that. I will be sure to mention uh, again when it is back and fully operational. Excellent. And you can find me
0: on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published three times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Actually, I'll link to that uh, Katie Sackhoff interview that Rad was talking about, so you can read that uh, in the show notes if you have not Uh, checked it out yet and you can subscribe to this show on apple Podcasts, google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps and send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slash home.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all on wednesday